good morning again. How's everyone? Let me say that. Good, good morning. How is everyone doing? Is everyone there? Okay. God is good. Amen. The goodness of God. I think we could have a whole service talking about the goodness of God, how great and wonderful and amazing it is. Can we all testify that and say amen this morning? Amen, right? Amen. God is good. He's good each and every morning to us. The goodness of God. We could sing about that. Uh, if you have your bulletins, if you could take that out and get your message outline out and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, glad you're here today to worship with us, uh, to fellowship together this morning. We can be together. But it was in 1968 in, in Mexico City Summer Olympics, the Olympic Stadium. The race was the marathon. Uh, John Stephen Akawi, representing the country of Tanzania, uh, had high hopes of winning the marathon, but something happened during the race. That, that would change his chances of winning that race. And if you can watch this video, you could see that right here. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and then 1st Kings. It's the 11th book in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little background on the book as you're finding it. Uh, chapter 19 you want to turn to. The time is, is in Israel's history where they had a king, and the king's name was Ahab. Uh, he wasn't a strong king. Matter of fact, he was a pretty weak king. He made a, a lot of bad decisions. And one of the worst decisions he made was the lady that he married by the name of Jezebel. Y'all heard of the name Jezebel, right? And because of the kind of woman that she was, most of us will not name our children Jezebel, will we? Because of her name, because of who she was. She was from Phoenicia. She worshipped Baal. She worshipped other gods. She worshipped the god of Asherah. 
She encouraged her husband Ahab, the king of Israel, to worship, uh, to do the same, to worship him. And the result of that, the people of the land of Israel were kind of confused. They were kind of torn. Sometimes they would worship Baal, and sometimes they would worship uh, the one true God, uh, Jehovah Yahweh. And Elijah is the prophet at that time, and he's very frustrated at what is happening there. And as a preacher of that gospel, he's saying to the people, you've got to decide. You've got to decide. If Baal is God, then worship Baal. And if God is God, worship him. But you're between these two points. You've got to decide. You've got to make a decision. And God spoke to Elijah, and he said, I want you to go talk to Ahab. And I want you to tell Ahab, he says, that, uh, uh, and, he, and he goes talk to Ahab, and he says to Ahab, King Ahab, he says, I want you to gather the children of Israel at the base of Mount Carmel, and along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. And we're going to decide once and for all whose God is real, whose God is alive. We're going to decide that once and for all who's the one true God. We could have a map up here on the, on the screen. So right here is Mount Carmel. If you can see that right there is Mount Carmel. And so right here is Jezreel. On the east side of this is Mediterranean Sea. On the west side is the valley, valleys. Uh, Mount Carmel's hundreds of feet above uh, Mediterranean Sea. It's also hundreds of feet right here from, from this point. This is the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Escrilon. You probably also know it as the Valley of Armageddon. Right here in this valley, more battles have been fought in between that area than any other spot in the world. And there's one more battle to come, at least one more battle. The end all battles is talked about in Revelation 16 and also Revelation 19, that Jesus is going to come and out of his mouth can proceed the sword which is the word of God, and all the armies of the world are going to be destroyed at that time. So here's where the big battle is, and many big battles have been fought there. But in this passage, they're all gathered there at Mount Carmel, right up there at Mount Carmel, and Elijah the prophet is saying to the children of Israel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal, he's saying to them, we're going to have a contest. We're going to find out whose God is real. Who's the real God here? And he says to the 450 prophets of Baal, he said, what I want you to do, you take, a you take an offer of sacrifice. Here's the bull. You make your altar. You cut up your sacrifice. Put it on top of that sacrifice. And then what I want you to do is call down your God, Baal, and have it bring fire down from heaven. So that's what, that's what they did. He says, when you're done with that, he says, I'll do the same. We'll see who's got, whose God is real. So the, so the 450 prophets... Uh, a bell made their altar. They cut up the bull. They put it upon the altar, and then they they began to cry out to their god, Baal, to to bring fire down from heaven. And they kept doing that, and it wasn't happening. It didn't happen. And, and, and during this time, Elijah is listening and watching everything that is happening, along with the nation of Israel. They're all watching, see what's happening. And this goes from morning till noon, and nothing's happening. So at noon, Elijah starts taunting them. He starts really what we call today trash-talking them. He says he's just mocking them. He says, you're, you're, you're calling your God. Why doesn't he respond? Why doesn't he respond to you? Perhaps God, your God is in a deep thought. Perhaps your, your God is busy. Perhaps he's traveling. Perhaps he's sleeping, and he needs to be awakened. So the 450 prophets of Baal are getting very, very frustrated with all this. And the Bible says this was their custom. As their custom is, they're worshiping their God. They took out their spears and their swords, and they began to cut themselves. And they're cutting their bodies all up, and they're trying to call out to God. Now blood is gushing from all over their bodies as they're calling out to God. So they're physically exhausted is what we see at this time. And their God is absolutely silent. He pays no attention to them. He does not respond to them. They have done everything they can, but their God doesn't respond. So now Elijah steps up, and Elijah 
he takes 12 stones, and he rebuilds the altar that was torn down there. And those 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And he takes them and puts wood on top of the altar. He cuts up the sacrifice. He puts it on top of the altar. And, and then he digs a trench around this altar. Then he does the unthinkable. He tells some men, he said, I want you to grab four large jars and fill it with water. And I want you to pour it on top of this sacrifice to make it harder to light. What he was trying to do. To make it harder to catch on fire. And he says, I want you to do it. Then he says, I want you to do it a second time. Fill those four, four jars of water and pour it up on top of the sacrifice. Then he says, I want you to do it a third time. So they take those jars and they pour it over the sacrifice. So now the sacrifice is drenched. The wood is drenched. The stones are drenched. The soil is drenched. And the trench around there is filled with water. And if you look at this situation, you would say, man, this man, Elijah, has tremendous courage. He has faith in a great God, right? In a great God. So he prays. Immediately as he prays, fire comes down from heaven, consume the sacrifice, consume the wood, consume the soil, consume the stones, and all the water in that trench was absorbed. And, and the people saw this. When they saw this, they began shouting, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They made the decision. They knew who the one true God was. It was Jehovah God. So they shouted, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah had them grab the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, and they immediately destroyed them without mercy. They killed them. During all this time that was going on, it had not rained in the land for over three years. See, Baal was considered the god of the harvest, and it was uh, according to their tradition that he would retreat every winter in a cave there. And, and the entrance of this cave, and the, the, the cave was called the gates of hell. And this is, in fact, this was the place where Jesus said right here, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So they're, they're teaching under Baal that he would kind of retreat into the underworld during this time, is what Baal would do. But during the spring, he would come out. And during the spring, they would have the rains and the harvest, and all those things would happen. And they would give all the credit to Baal for that. So God said, oh yeah? Well, I'm going to stop the rain. And God stopped the rain for over three years that had rained in the land. And now, uh, after all the prophets of Baal are destroyed, God's, uh, Elijah says to Ahab, you better get in your chariot and you better start riding before the rain comes and stops you from riding back down to Jezreel. So Ahab goes up to Mount Carmel and he prays to God and he said, God, prays for rain. And he tells one of his servants, says, I want you to go out and look over toward the east, over toward the Mediterranean and see if you see a cloud coming or, or see rain coming. His uh, assistant came back, his aide came back, no, I don't see anything. He sends him a second time, doesn't see anything. Sends him a third time, he doesn't see anything. And finally, after the seventh time, his aide comes back and he says, you know, I, I do see a cloud. It's about the size of a man's hand. Now, Ahab had already been making his way in his chariot back to Jezreel. The Bible says the power of the Lord came up on Elijah, and he ran in front of the chariot all the way to Jezreel. Think about that. He ran faster than the chariot. Now, that's what would need to happen for me and many of you for us to be able to run a marathon, right? The power of the Lord would have to come on us, right? That's what happened to us. The distance that he ran was 17 to 19 miles. wasn't quite a marathon. As Elijah moved from Mount Carmel all the way to Jezreel. And that's where we want to pick up our story. That's where we are in 1 Kings chapter 19. Hopefully you understand the story, right, where we're at with the story. And I want to share with you four things before giving up. Uh, when we're ready to stop believing, when we're ready to stop praying, 
where we're ready to give in. Many of us ready to give, maybe you're here, you say, I'm ready to give up on marriage. I've just had it. I've just had it. Or maybe our faith is so weak at times we wonder if God is real, if God cares, if God loves us. Or maybe in their profession of faith, we think, well, it didn't stick at all. So we're really what we're doubting is, is kind of our identity. Our faith is really weak and we're ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel. I believe this passage in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 8, will give us some insight on what to do during that time. So let's read it together, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. The four things we need to remember before we kind of throw in the towel or, or give up, the first one is this, is to focus on God and give him the credit. You need to focus on God and give him the credit. I was reading an article a while back, and it said the most of you are willing to give God the credit, but not the cash. You'll get that in a moment. It hit Donnie in a moment what that means. In verse, in verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, everything that Elijah had did, how he had killed the 450 prophets of Baal. And Jezebel promises to kill Elijah in the next 24 hours. This lady had power. She promises Je Elijah, you're going to die. Next 24 hours, you're going to die. You're not going to be alive. So Elijah hears this. He got afraid. He got afraid. And who, who wouldn't get afraid someone threatens you like that? And when he heard the threat, he ran. He ran for his very life. He took off running, and he didn't stop. And, and, and if, we would, if we could rewrite this scripture, I mean this, this script right here, it would be wonderful to hear Elijah say that once he heard those words from Jezebel that, uh, that she's going to kill him because he killed those 450 prophets of Baal, it would have been wonderful. There had been a verse in there that could have said this where Elijah would have said, I need to talk to you, Jezebel. I need to talk to you because I want to share with you that your issue, your problem's not with me, but it's with God. God, you got a problem with him. And you should have been there, Jezebel. You should have been there at that time. It was power against power, where one power didn't even show up. A Baal didn't even show up, and he couldn't bring down fire from heaven. But God, God of the universe, he showed up, Jehovah God. And you should have seen that, that fire that came down. It consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones and, and everything around it. And all the water was in the trench. It consumed it. And then I prayed that God would bring rain when it didn't rain for over three years. And God brought rain. Your issue is not with me, Jezebel, but it's with, it's with God. You've got an issue with him. And you did come with grips of who God is, that he's the one true God. He's the God of the universe, and there's no one like him. Somewhere along the line, if God chooses to use us, if we think for a moment that we had anything to do with it, we get into trouble. We get in trouble because we start getting our, our eyes away from God, and we get it on the issue. 
we start looking at the issue in this and, and that. And that's exactly what happened to 12 spies, that God sent them into the promised land, and 10 came back and says, oh, the land is great, but there's giants in the land. And they took their focus off of a great God to great giants, right? Two of the spies came back, said, oh, the land is great. Yeah, there's giants there, but our God is greater than the giants, right? And that's what we need to do. So keep your focus on God and give him the credit is what we need to do. There's something that comes up all the time. You hear it on TV, and you hear sometimes pastors say it, and I hear other Christians say it sometimes, that God will not give us more than we can bear. You ever hear that? God will never give you more than you can bear. That's often applied to trials when it should be applied to temptations. There's a difference. There's a difference. Those situations, trials are those situations of life that we go through. It may be cancer. It may be a car accident. It may be relational difficulties. It may be a loss of loved one or other health issues. Those type of things come into our lives all the time. Those different types of things come into our life. Are they greater than we can handle? Absolutely. They're greater than we can handle. They're bigger than we can handle. Loss of a loved one, it's greater than we can handle. With all men, this is too much. Why would God do that? Think about that. Why would God allow that? Why would God allow situations that come into our lives trials that are bigger than our capacity to handle, why would he do that? Well, here's the answer. Because he wants us to understand that it's not in our capacity, but it's in his, right? Not in our capacity, but it's in God's capacity. Remember the apostle Paul, when he was going through, he had that thorn in the flesh, God had given him a thorn in the flesh, and, he, and he's saying to God, I, I, I deal with this every day, and if you could just take away this thorn in the flesh, then I would be a better servant to you. So he prays, God, take away the thorn in the flesh. And God said, no. And he says, he repeats it, right? How many of you have done that? God says no, and you repeat it. And God says no, and you repeat it. And he did this three times. And then the words of God comes with great instruction. And it's our memory verse for this week. Where it says 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where God says this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And through our trials that many times are way over our heads, and they are, they come in their way over our heads. I'm overwhelmed. They're, they're just too big for me. We draw closer to God, and our faith is strengthened. And we go from glory to glory, become more like Jesus. But all through that, we see God's work uh, working in our lives, right? God's power working in our lives, right, when we, do, when we see that. And God promises, no matter what you go through, he says, my, my grace is sufficient. And I promise, no matter what you're going through, that I will give you the strength that you need to get through it. You have to rely on my grace. And he's given you a promise that no matter what you're going through, my grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. And it'll help you through it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is the verse that's often misapplied. And many people misapply that. And, and the second word should tell us what it's about. It says in here, No temptation has ceased you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What we talked about before is what was trials. What this verse is talking about is what? Temptations. Temptations are those things that come into our lives. God never tempts us, right? Right? Say amen. God never tempts us. God never brings temptations into our life. He allows them to come into our lives. God allows them to come into our lives. The purpose of a temptation, just let's, let's get out. The purpose of a temptation is to lead us astray. It's lead us to sin. And God will never do that. God will never tempt you to sin. So if you're tempted, it's not by God. It's not by God. God does not do that. So what God is saying in this verse to you and I, he's saying, he says, there's no temptation that will cease you 
or overtake you, that you cannot bear, that you cannot escape is what he's saying. But God will always, always make a way of escape. He will always provide a way out of that temptation. So we never have the reason to say, well, I had no other choice. I had to sin. I had to do it. I was tempted. I had to do it. We have no reason because God tells us a promise. I will always provide a way out of that temptation. And here's the way out of a temptation. It's always running toward God, back to God. Sometimes God has say the temptation comes, and he tells us run exactly opposite direction from that temptation, but running toward God as we're doing it. And sometimes God says, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to help you to endure that temptation so you can resist it. But we never have to give in. God doesn't want us to give in. To resist the temptation with God's power, with his strength, with his grace. Amen? That's what he wants. So that, this verse should not be applied to trials, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It should be applied only to temptations, right? Temptations. So we all agree, right? The difficulty for Elijah that we see in this passage, he had this trial, and he responded incorrectly, and now he made it into a temptation. He responded in fear instead of trust is what he did there. It happens all the time in many of our lives. Things come into our lives. We take our focus off of God, and we put our focus on our problems. So many times we do that, don't we? We take our focus off God, and now I got these problems, and our focus is all on the problems. The problem may be cancer, maybe finances, maybe relational difficulties, maybe health issues, all kind of things. Or it may be the dreams we had as a young person, and now we're getting older, and we see it's not going to come to reality. So we respond with fear and wanting to give up because it's not going to happen. The second thing before giving up is number two. This is huge. React in trust when you hear the voice of doom and gloom. React and trust when you hear the voice of doom and gloom. This seems in, inconceivable to me when I read this story to think about it, that, that Elijah, Elijah was just used of God to defeat 450 prophets of Baal. He prays and God answers with fire. He prays and God answers with rain. And the Spirit of God comes upon him and he's able to run faster than a chariot. Think about that, how fast it is. All the way, not just for a short distance, for many miles. And then a woman threatens him. A Venetian woman threatens him and he runs. Let's look at the map. We got the map up there again. The map uh, right here. So he's at Jezreel. He comes down here around the Ridge Valley, and it runs all the way down here to Beersheba right here. Runs all the way this distance uh, to run from her. He has a servant. He leaves his servant here, the Bible says. He says, servant, you stay here. And he goes another day's journey into the desert. In the Bible, a day's journey is about 20 miles. So he leaves his servant here. He goes another 20 miles into the desert uh, all by himself. When you read this story, when I read it, I don't think Elijah ever planned on returning. I, don't, I believe he thought, I'm not coming back. This is it. This is it for me. He goes somewhere in the desert. He finds a broom tree. He crawls in under it to fall asleep. Before he falls asleep, he says, God, I, I want to die. I want to die is what he says. Kind of take my life. You say, Elijah, that's what Jezebel wanted to do with you, right? Jezebel would have been glad to accommodate you with that, but you didn't want to die, and you ran. You ran into the desert. You took off. You waste a lot of time. You put a lot of miles on your, on your moccasins or on your Nikes, right? You put them on there, and now you get in the desert. You say, I want to die. I want to die. See, I, I, I think something happened there that I think that uh, Elijah realized what he did. He, he didn't react in trust. When he heard the voice of doom and gloom, he didn't act in trust. Are you like that in life? That when something goes wrong in life, do you immediately take your mind to the worst case scenario? 
How many of us do that? Worst case scenario, something happens. Oh, no, this is it. it it's going to end. Hey, I, I've got a little money problem. Oh, I'm going to lose my house. I'm just going to lose my house. I get a little sick, and the doctor says, I really don't know what this is. Oh, I'm going to die of cancer. It's got to be cancer. I'm going to die. Or, or my marriage is, I'm having a little trouble. I'm going to lose my marriage. Or I'm going to lose my job. Or I'm going to lose I'm going to go bankrupt or whatever. We immediately go to the worst case scenario. It seems like our minds are plugged to do that. Anytime we hear the whisper, just the whisper of doom and gloom, we go to the worst case scenario instead of trust. We don't trust. Let me ask you, for the sake of asking, where's your broom tree when you need it, right? Where's your broom? Like, we, maybe we should have inflatable broom trees where we can just blow it up anytime, where we kind of get down. When I feel like, God, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. Let me blow up my bloom, broom tree so I can get under here. And I just want to give up. Just give up. You ever get there in your life? You ever get there where I just want to give up? Here's the thing we have to do. We have to react in trust when we hear the voice of doom and gloom. We may not feel it. We can't go by our feelings. So many times we don't go by our feelings. We have to react in trust when we hear that voice of doom and gloom. Because it comes. When we least expect it, it comes. But we have to react in trust. Thirdly, the third thing before giving up, Refuse to believe that you are a failure. Refuse to believe you're a failure. Something happened along the way where Elijah was coming down Beersheba. He went 150 miles about to Beersheba, and then he went another 20 miles in the desert. 170 miles this man went. He ran from Jezebel. And I wonder at some point, he must have been thinking, what in the world am I doing here? How did I get here? What, what happened? I, I become something that I thought I never would become. What was that? A quitter. I quit. I just quit. I, I saw the power of God at work, and, and, I, and I'm running from the threat of a woman. When I saw that Almighty God bring down fire from heaven, and, and then he brought the rain, and, and he gave me the ability to run faster than a chariot, and now I'm just a, a failure. You ever feel like a failure? I'm just a failure. When you get to that place where you feel like a failure, you start just dumping on yourselves, don't you? Just start dumping. And, and our identity is affected. Our future is oftentimes affected. Our worth is questioned. We just say, I'm such a failure. Look what I've done. I'm such a failure. Has anybody ever felt that way? Where you feel just, I'm, I'm just a failure of the things that I, I've done? You have to know when you feel like that, what you have to do is to refuse to believe it. We have to refuse to believe we're failures. I'm not talking about mind over matter. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. That's not what I'm talking about, what the world tells you to do. What I'm talking about is trusting in an almighty God is what I'm saying, that we need to trust in him. And what, we need, what we need to do is have that picture where we see an almighty God, where we see Jesus himself, a picture in our minds and our hearts, where Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what he's promised us. Come to me when you're feeling like that, and I promise I will give you the rest. And you're, you're not a failure. You may have failed, but that doesn't make you a failure, right? Many times we fail, but it doesn't make us a failure. Let me give you evidence for this through the life of Peter real quick as we go through this. In the upper room, Jesus said, uh, you guys are all going to deny me. And, of course, Peter says, I'm not going to deny you. And, P and Jesus said, oh, yes, you will. You're going to deny me. And then later that night, around the fire, around a fire outside of Caiaphas' house, he's around this fire outside of Caiaphas' house with people all around. And this lady looks at him and says, aren't you one of those, that guy with the Nazarene? Weren't you one of those guys? And Peter said, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't with him. No, you've got the wrong person. And Peter denies Jesus three times, right? You know that story, right? He denies him three times. And Jesus went on to die the next day. And, and you have to think somewhere along the line, Peter had to be thinking, what did, I, what did I just do? We see that as parents sometimes. 
What have I just become? We're doing things we tell our kids not to do, right? We're doing the very things. We're not trusting or, or whatever it may be. Or kids may say, how did I get into this? I'm doing things that my mom and dad warned me not to do. I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. And I think Peter thought that, that he was such a failure, that I think so much that he maybe he was ready to turn in his discipleship papers. I'm no longer a disciple. I can't do this. So much so that in the morning of the resurrection, we kind of get a picture. You kind of kind of read into this. And when the women came and the angels were there at the temp tomb, and they said, he's not here, he's risen. And those angels were there, and they said, they said this to these women, the angels did. Go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee just like he promised. Now, why did the angels say, go tell the disciples and Peter? Because I think Peter, from that Thursday night where he denied Jesus those three times, now something happened on Friday or Saturday where he, where he thought, what did I just do? I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. I was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw him in all of his glory. I was with Jesus in Caesarea Philippi where he asked, who do people say that I am? And I said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked right at my face and he said, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And upon your confession, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. And then Jesus told me that I would deny him, and I said, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. And days later, the disciples who had given up everything, uh, uh, given up their nets, now get discouraged. They go back to their nets now, and they're out there fishing. The disciples were out there fishing on the Sea of Galilee along with Peter, and they've been fishing all night. And you know the story. They didn't catch anything, right? They didn't catch anything. Then this figure from the shore shouts out to them, cast your nets on the other side. I mean, fishermen love advice from non-fishermen, don't they? They love that. I mean, and, and does it make any sense? Can you imagine the disciples are grumbling? What is this person? I have my nets on this side of my boat. Put it on the other side of the boat. I'm going to catch something. Oh, right. Well, it hasn't worked all night, so let's do it anyway. So they put their nets on the other side of the boat, and I love the Bible. It gives us such detail. It tells us they caught 153 fish. Amen? Caught 153 fish. And, and, and as the boat comes near the shore, they see that that figure on shore is Jesus. And Peter jumps in the water because he wants to be the first one there. So he swims the shore, and here's Jesus on the shore of Sea of Galilee with the fire making breakfast for the disciples. How cool is that, right? But it gets even better. It gets even better. I love the detail of Jesus as he's rescuing people who thought they were failures, even to the detail of aroma. Listen to what happens. Peter comes on shore, and he smells this charcoal fire. The word is very distinct, very distinct what we see here. It says charcoal fire. In the NIV, it uses burning coals. The ESV says charcoal fire, uh, a charcoal fire. There's lots of fires in the Bible, but this one here is called charcoal in the ESV. Hey, you can imagine Peter, he's smelling that aroma, but as he smells that aroma, it's not a good aroma to Peter. Because there's only one other time in the Bible that word is used for fire. You guess where it is? It's that fire around Caiaphas' house. That same fire, that same word is used right there. When Peter had denied Jesus those three times right there. And now he smells that charcoal aroma. And he had to be thinking, it reminds him of day. It reminds him as a failure. Well, I failed. I failed. I denied him three times. And Jesus uses that occasion to three times ask Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. Ask him, do you love me? Matching the three denials. And then finally, Jesus says to him, 
go feed my sheep. And what Jesus was say, saying, I'm not finished with you yet, Peter. You're not a failure, is what he's saying. You're not a failure by saying that. And so let's refuse. Let you and I refuse to believe we're failures. We're not. We're not failures. And find the grace of God extended to all of us that God gives to every one of us as followers to never, ever, ever give up. Amen? Never give up. Never give up. Because we serve a God of new beginnings. We serve a God of Genesis and a God of regenesis. A God who starts all over again in our lives. Even when we mess up, God said, it's okay. Get back up and keep walking. And if you've been sidelined, if you sideline yourself, find the grace of God to get back in the game because you are not a failure. I can't say it enough. As long as the grace of God is alive, and it is for all of eternity, you are not a failure. God can pick up those broken pieces. He can pick up your life, and he can still use you wherever you are at, just like he did Peter. Think of Peter. He denied Jesus three times. And God says, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet. And so let me give you one more. Are you ready for one more? Remember the three, the three I've given you? If before you throw in the towel and quit, number one, focus on God and give him the credit. Number two, react and trust when you hear the voice of doom and gloom. Number three, refuse to believe you are a failure. And then the fourth thing before giving up, give attention to your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, spiritual health. When Elijah went those 100, really 70 miles and stopped at a hot spot in the desert, there rains about four inches a year, a year, usually all that rain comes at one time. Elijah's exhausted. He's physically exhausted at this point. And you find this passage that God gives him two things, two things he gives him. The first thing he gives him is sleep. He crawls underneath that broom tree, broom tree and he falls asleep, right? The second thing that God gives him, he gives him food and water. An angel of the Lord taps him on the shoulder and get up and eat. And he had food prepared for him and says, get up and eat. You're going to need this because you're not finished with your journey. Your journey's still going to go on. And then he eats and he goes back to sleep because, as I said, his journey still had more to do. So when you're at the brink of saying, I, I, I give up, check your physical health. Make sure you're all right. Have you been sleeping? Have you been sleeping? A lot of people have made some pretty poor decisions because they've been exhausted physically. Don't you be one of them. Don't you be one of them. Make sure you get the sleep that you need. You have the rest, exercise, and food that you need. And check your physical health before you make those decisions. Make sure everything's all right so you don't make a bad decision because you don't want to do that. It not only affect you, but it can affect others around you. Then emotionally, you see emotionally, emotionally Elijah thought he was all alone. He said, I'm the only one. There's 450 prophets of Baal, but I'm the only prophet of God. I'm the only one left. It's only me, he said. And lonely. There was a study done not too long ago that said the loneliness factor in the United States is at epidemic proportions. That 47% of all adults in the United States believe they are lonely a majority of the time they feel loneliness. Can you imagine that? 47%. God is going to address that through an angel here in this passage if we, if we kept moving on, reading on. He says to Elijah, says, Elijah, you're not alone. In fact, I have 7,000 other people who've not bowed a knee to Baal. You're not alone. And in fact, he, later on, you'll find out, I'm going to give you a co-worker, Elijah, who, who, who's going to work with you for the next 10 years. His name, you know his name? Elisha. I know it gets confusing. Elijah, his name is Elisha. And they're going to be joined at the hip, and they're going to do great ministry for God. Elisha and Elijah are going to do together. We're never alone. God addressed the psychological and the physical needs, right? And then the third was the spiritual needs, the spiritual needs. Elijah just went through the greatest spiritual battle, the most dramatic situation, one of the most in all the Old, Old Testament. 
Some people say it is the most in the Old Testament. This battle of the one where we see power against power. One power never showed up, but God showed up and showed that he was real, right? And so he had to, it had to be so draining for Elijah. And I wonder if any point in Elijah's life where, where he says, God, you're going to bring the fire, aren't you? Because I'm about to pray. And God, you're going to bring the rain because I'm about to pray. And God showed up each time, didn't he? And oftentimes, in the greatest spiritual victories, that's when we have the greatest temptations in our life, just like Elijah. And spiritual victories are often followed by great times of temptation. Let's not give in to that. Let's be aware that that can happen in our life and never give in to that. And the Spirit of God said to Elijah, said, Elijah, I want you to eat this food because you're going to need it. And the next 40 days, Elijah would wander up to Mount Horeb, the place that God previously met with uh, Moses. Some call it Mount Sinai. And God says, Elijah, had to be at that place to hear the voice of God at that time. And God's voice didn't come in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, but God's voice came in this small whisper voice that assured him of God's reality and God's presence in his life, that God is real. And the Spirit of God said to Elijah, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. I want you to go down and, and at Aram. I want you to anoint a king in Aram. I want you to go over here and anoint a king in, in Israel. And he says, I'm not through with you yet. I'm not finished with you. You've got a lot of work to do for me, is what he was telling him. So never, never, never give up, right? Uh, never stop believing. Never stop trusting. Never stop serving. Never stop praying. Don't ever give up. And maybe you say, I've been praying for a wayward child for a long time. What should I do? Do not give up. Keep serving. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep trusting. But don't ever, ever, ever give up, right? Until God takes us home. Until we leave this. And there will be serving him forever and eternity. But don't ever give up. As long as the grace of God is there, it's always sufficient. And it's always there, guys. It's always there. So God says, don't give up. The day will come one day where we cross from this life and we're ready to meet Jesus and we're ready to hear those words. What are they? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're finished. Come on home. Welcome into my kingdom. That's what we all want to hear one day. But we don't give up until God calls us home till we hear that. And then we're in heaven and God's got all kinds of things for us to do in heaven too. But as long as we're here on this earth, as long as there's breath in our lungs, we don't give up. We never give up. We continue to strive to serve him because the presence of God is here and his grace is sufficient for all that we need, right? But it all begins, guys, it all begins with knowing Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not sure that you would go to heaven if you were to die today, you're not sure you have a relationship with God, it all begins with there that every one of us in this room are sinners. Every one of us are sinners. Every human being you're going to come in contact with or ever come in contact with are all sinners. And because of our sin, we're separated from a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. We're all sinners. We're all in the same place. None of us can approach a holy, just God on our own. And God knew that. So God sent his son, Jesus, who's God, and he came to this earth, and he took on the form of humanity, became, became the God-man, and he went to the cross. And on that cross, God laid up on him all your sins, my sins, all those things that separate us from God. And Jesus died on the cross, and he paid for those sins. So that now you and I can have a relationship with God, but we have to come the way that Jesus has provided. That Jesus provided one way is through the cross of Jesus Christ. That we come and we believe that, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, and today I accept his finished work on the cross that he paid for my sins today. I believe it by faith. I trust him as my Savior. The Bible says that it's, it's by grace and through faith that we are saved. So you come to him, relying on God's grace for everything, God's grace for everything, and understanding who Jesus is, the Son of God, he's God, and that he died on the cross for you, and you accept that by faith. If you've never done that, please do that. If you're wondering how to do it, you say, I still have questions. 
please come and see me after the service. I'd be glad to help you with that. But maybe you're here, and even as a believer, you're saying, I, I don't know, I'm ready to give up on my marriage. Or you say, boy, I'm ready to give up on my job. Or you say, I have these health issues, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know what, what the end game is this. You need somebody to pray with you. We'd be glad. I want to tell you you're not alone. I would be glad to pray with you. The elders would be glad. Bob and Grail here would be glad to pray with you. Tony's usually in the prayer room. We'd be glad. You could turn to anybody here. I'm sure they'd be glad to pray with you. We would like be glad to pray with you. But here's the thing. Don't ever give up. Please, don't ever, ever, ever give up. Remember the verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, is what God says. So God says, whatever you're going through, no matter how dire the situation looks, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Rely on my grace, and I'll give you the strength that you need to get through it, no matter what it is. No matter what it is, do not give up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you come, and we praise you. And we thank you, God, that you're a God of new beginnings. You're a God of Genesis and re-Genesis. And we come to you, Lord, on bended knee and humility, Lord, to say, God, there's so many things in this world that are bigger than us, that we cannot handle. When we look at ourselves, Lord, sometimes we want to think that we're so strong and mighty, but Lord, when it gets down to the bottom line, Lord, we're frail, we're weak. There's so many things that overcome us, so many things that are bigger than us than what we can handle. So Lord, I pray the power of Jesus for each and every one of us, that we would see ourselves for who we really are, that Lord, we desperately, desperately need you in our lives. That we're never meant to live this life without you. There, Lord, so many times that we try, Lord, we, we fail and we, we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. We take our focus off of you and think, I can handle this. And then we wind up like Elijah, way out there in the desert all by ourselves, saying, how did they ever get here? How did they ever get here? Because we made one bad decision after another. Lord, help us, guide us. Guide us by your word. Help us, Lord, that we keep our focus and trust on you and give you all the glory, give you all the credit. And Lord, we wouldn't listen to the voice of doom and gloom in our hearts and minds, but we trust you. No matter what comes, we realize that our God is, is bigger than the giants that are coming in my life. My God is bigger than the situation. He's bigger than anything that comes in my life. And I can trust in you that, God, you can handle it. Lord, help us, Lord, to, to see our, look at our own selves, make sure we're all right physically and, and emotionally and spiritually, Lord. There, Lord that we draw closer to you by getting into the word of God and reading it and, and getting those words in our hearts and minds. So we have the promises of God. That's what we need to rely on you. I pray for anyone this morning, Lord, is going through a difficult time. Maybe they're there. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm ready to give up. Lord, that you would minister to them today to tell them how, how special they are to you and how much you love them and how much of a purpose and a plan that you still have for their lives. And Lord, that they don't give up. Because, God, you have so much for them to do that they can rely on your strength, and you are there, and you are going to see them through whatever they go through. You're going to be there for them. Help every one of us to realize that in our lives. Help us, Lord, to have our eyes open to other people that we see. That, Lord, maybe going through that, that we might be able to minister to them. So, Lord, when we're going through those same things, others can minister to us too, Lord. Help us, Lord, to look for those opportunities of ministry. But through it all, Lord, let us all give you the credit, the glory, the fame, the recognition. You deserve it all. Lord, help us to come to a position, Lord, in humility. Lord, I need you. I need you. I can't do this without you. And Lord, we're in that place. We're in the best place we can be because we're relying totally on your grace, totally on your strength, and totally on your power. 
And when we do that, Lord, that's when we're the strongest in our life spiritually. So help us to be people like that, who humbly come before the God who's a great God and no one is like him, and, and reliant on his strength. Help us to become people like that. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to sing a song to declare 10,000 reasons why we can trust in God, right? 10,000 reasons why he'll always be there for us. Let's stand and let's worship.